0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, there is only one ultimate goal of our lives that is worthy, and that is to live and to praise and to extol the glory due Your name. Father, we thank you that you have given us gifts this morning to worship you. The breath in our lungs is a gift from you. The beat of our hearts is a gift from you. The voices that we raise in worship to you, Lord, are gifts. And Father, it is good that we use them to speak of the glory of due to Your name. Father, quiet our hearts. Remove the concerns and cares of this past week, the anxieties and possibilities of the coming week. And Father, may we focus today on the Lamb that was slain. And may it change and transform everything about us this morning. We pray all this in Christ's precious name, pleading His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to be doing something a little different than usual on a Sunday morning. Obviously, we're not in 1 Peter. And Revelation chapter 5 is going to, in some way, be a, a starting point for us for a journey through our consideration and looking at and beholding the Lamb of God. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's a familiar passage likely to many of you. It is a passage that focuses on the Lamb that was slain. It's interesting that the book of Revelation, we generally think of it as a book about what? The end times. But it is not the book of the end times. It is the book of the victory of the Lamb. And that is the focus that sort of forms the rest of this very difficult, very hard book. But if we focus on its main, fo- on its main subject... We find great encouragement in it. It is a vision of the Lamb that is front and center in God's eternal plan of redemption. Now, I think it's appropriate that as we enter November, that we pause to really focus on this. We hold communion, or the Lord's Supper here, once every month, generally on the first Sunday of the month. But... Particularly here in November, there's often something that's on our minds, and we think about Thanksgiving being in November. It looms large in our minds. Now, unfortunately, giving thanks, I fear, is often relegated to a day that we think, well, we're going to really give thanks on Thanksgiving, and oftentimes that really giving thanks on Thanksgiving only involves just a few words spoken before we gorge ourselves with turkey and mashed potato and stuffing and all the rest. Thanksgiving is to be a way of life for the Christian. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that we are to give thanks always for all things in Christ. And Christ Himself instituted an opportunity for us to remember and then to give thanks for His sacrifice in the Lord's Supper. So this morning, I want us to cast our focus on the Lamb. I want us to behold the Lamb in Scripture, to remember through our observance of the Lord's Supper. what the lamb has done and then to add our voices in worship to the lamb look with me Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 then i saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and i saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard I don't think it is possible for us to comprehend the full magnificence of what John witnessed when he saw this great chorus of praise to the Lamb that was slain and the Lamb that has conquered. But why is He the Lamb? What I'd like us to do this morning, and we're going to be going through a number of different passages, is I'd like us to consider Why the Lamb? I'd like us to behold the Lamb promised, the Lamb foreshadowed, the Lamb provided, and then the Lamb exalted this morning. We're going to begin by looking at the Lamb promised. This is in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is a familiar passage, or at least a familiar story. And it is the account... Of Abraham's test given to him by God. God came to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, and to sacrifice him in worship. And we see here a clear indication of Abraham's faith in God's provision of a lamb. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, or Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place to which God told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound "'Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. "'Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. "'But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, "'Abraham, Abraham!' And he said, "'Here I am.' He said, "'Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him.' For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorn, horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. We find here a striking picture of what God has done in providing a lamb for us. We see throughout the book of Genesis promises made that there will be someone who will come and will reverse the curse that has come upon mankind because of their sin. But here we see some very specific pictures of what God will do in providing that one. And through it all, we find that Abraham shows faith, confidence, dependence upon the word of God that would send the lamb. You know, it's interesting what God has asked Abraham to do is no small thing. He tells him to take his son, his only son. Now, at this moment, from Abraham's perspective, this was the promised child that through which Abraham would become a blessing to all the nations. The Hope that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15 was settled in Isaac. And that God says to Abraham, I want you to take that one hope that you have in Isaac and kill it. Kill him in worship to me. We see that this is exactly what Abraham recognized. He was tested Offering up Isaac, and he had received the promises, was in an act offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham never once flinched at the promise that God had given He realized that God could raise his son even as he killed him. I also think we need to understand that God puts a specific focus on the love that Abraham has for Isaac. He calls upon him to take his son, your only son, whom you love. Abraham valued his son dearly. Not only was he the child of promise, but he was also that which Abraham loved. But Abraham's love for God was not lesser than his love for the blessings God had given. How often do we find ourselves in the same situation where we are tempted and tested? Will we value the Lord above all? then we see abraham speaking with faith of god's provision it's amazing here to see how abraham fathers his son isaac the question is brought by isaac who has seen sacrifices before has seen animals sacrificed and worship to god and and as they're going up to sacrifice isaac who is soon to be laid on the wood of the sacrifice asks I see the wood, I see the fire. Where is the lamb? And Abraham speaks in faith to Isaac of a great hope. The Lord Himself will provide the lamb. The Lord Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. This is the key verse in this text. Everything drives to it and everything pulls away from it. Abraham's complete obedience was based on the fact that God would provide a sacrifice. And then the rest of the passage shows that God provided a sacrifice. And God did provide a sacrifice. Verse 13, we see the reward of Abraham's faith as he is about to plunge the knife into his son. God says, Abraham, don't harm your son. He looks behind him, there's a ram. And then in verse 13, there's something that I think we often read over, but it is so significant. Abraham went and took the ram. And He offered it up as a burnt offering, and then this phrase is so important, instead of His Son. We see this same thing true in the Lamb of God. The Father has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. God will provide a lamb for sacrifice. Jesus is that lamb. The lamb for us. Who takes our place and is sacrificed in our stead. Taking upon himself the consequences of our sins. So that we could come Before him. As Jesus describes himself in John chapter 10, he is the good shepherd. What makes him the good shepherd? He lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on in verse 17 through 18 of John 10. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. Where did Christ receive the charge to come and be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? Who charged Him? The Father did. And so Christ comes as the direct provision of the Father to save sinners like us. And so John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, the Lamb from God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me, God provided the lamb and then John's testimony backs up that gracious gift from God. So, Abraham's story, the Lord himself will provide a lamb and that lamb would be sacrificed in the stead of his son, points forward to the giving of Christ, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world we see that the Lamb was promised. But as God promised a Messiah, one who would stand in the place of sinners, and even prefigured it in His test with Abraham, we also see that God reveals more about what the Lamb will do through His people, Israel. And we see this in two passages. We see the Lamb foreshadowed. Exodus chapter 12 Verses 1 through 13. Exodus 12, 1 through 13. And again, another well-known passage. This is at the end of Israel's captivity in Egypt. Plagues have been coming, plague after plague after plague. And Pharaoh's hardened heart, who he has hardened and God has hardened, continues to say, no, I will not let them go. And so, God promises that there would be someone who would come through Egypt. That someone was God Himself. And that He would take the lives of the firstborn. But we see that provision is made for salvation from death. And that provision is made through the sacrifice and the blood of God of a lamb Exodus chapter 12 verse 1 The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt This month shall be for you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year for you Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers' houses a lamb for a household And if the household is too small for a lamb then he shall then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons according to what each can eat you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And we know this passage well. This is the last plague. But yet what we find is that God provides a way of salvation from death for His people... And that way is found in the sacrifice of and the blood of a lamb. God says that when he sees the lamb, he will pass over them. There's a call here to individual faith in Christ. Individual faith that each individual person, each family had to exercise Obedience to God's command, trusting that as they obeyed him, God would pass over them. There's a clear connection between obedience and faith in this section. You know, it's interesting. We look at the other plagues and God oftentimes would just exempt the entire area of Goshen where Israel lived from those plagues. So there's darkness all around Egypt. Guess where there's not darkness? Goshen. Among the Israelites. All the the livestock die. Guess whose livestock don't die? The Israelites. And God is showing to the world around the Israelites, the world of Egypt, that these are His people. But yet this last plague, He gives instructions. He doesn't just blanket, exclude everyone. He calls every family to be under the blood of the lamb can you imagine what it would have been like that night if someone rejected the instructions of the lord and didn't trust in what he had said one of the israelites and as they wake up the next morning one of god's own people is facing the consequences of death as their firstborn has died, because they rejected faith and obedience in Christ's command, in God's command. It's interesting also to note that the obedience required them to take what type of lamb, a spotless lamb, one that was not tainted in any way, shape. Or form. And we find that it is for us today, Christ who is the Passover Lamb. In first Corinthians five, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are really as you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So let us, therefore, celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ is our Passover lamb. But not only is Christ our Passover lamb, He is also the lamb given for our cleansing. Leviticus chapter 14 verses 10 through 20 describes instructions given in the law for the cleansing of lepers. Leprosy was a unique disease in that those who were afflicted by it had to stay away from everyone else. They would live in colonies. They would stay away from Society in general, because their disease was so infectious that it would taint others if they came into contact with them. What a picture of sin. You realize that your sin does not just affect you, it taints and hurts the relationships of others all around you. How can we find cleansing from such a disease? It's found in the sacrifice of the sinless Lamb of God. Leviticus 14, verse 10, And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephath of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. So the he there is referring to a leper. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with a log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Head to toe. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip his right finger in that oil in his left hand and sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot and on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hands he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. There's a Glorious picture of what Christ has done. The sinless Lamb of God. And in fact, Peter points us to this in First Peter chapter 1. We are ransomed from the leprosy of sin, the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish. Or spot. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, that there is hope in the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God. What will it do? It purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so we are called to walk in the light as he is in the light. And as we do this, we have fellowship with each other and there is a wonderful hope that the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from what? All. How much? All sin. The Lamb is foreshadowed both in the Passover and in the cleansing of the lepers. Then we see this lamb that is promised the Lord himself will provide a lamb that will stand in our stead. This lamb is foreshadowed through these things. We see the lamb provided. Isaiah 53, 4 through 9. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Stricken for whose transgression? Ours. Stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Luke 23, 1-49. through 49. Then the whole company of them em- arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forgetting us to give tribute to the Jews. And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he turned and learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Not because he wanted to, trust in him, because he thought of him as a trinket. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made... No answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called And release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found In him, no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on His right and on His left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, we are receiving our due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. while well, the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. It is amazing to see how Christ is the Lamb provided. The one who throughout over and over again, is declared to be innocent. Yet He dies, becoming the sinless Lamb of God. And as the writer of Hebrews tells us, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places not by the means of blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood securing for us an eternal redemption we see that the lamb is provided in Jesus Christ but as we come back to revelation say, man, that's the longest introduction for a sermon I've seen. As we come back to Revelation, we see the Lamb exalted. Revelation 7, 9 through 17, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them into springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb that is slain becomes the shepherd of the sheep for which he was slain. As we walk through this life, we need guidance. And that guidance is given to us through the lamb that was slain that is now our good shepherd. And so... As we come to the end of all things, as we come to see the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21, John comments that there's no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in Whose book of life? The Lamb's book of life. There is an eternal hope found in the Lamb of God, which is given to take away the sins of the world. So, we've seen the Lamb promised, foreshadowed. We've seen the Lamb provided, and the Lamb exalted. What should we do? How should we respond to this gracious gift of God? Well, first, trust the Lamb. Trust in His work of redemption and reject self-dependence. We cannot cleanse ourselves. Only the blood of the Lamb can do so. Second, and this is where we connect with what we're looking at in 1 Peter, look to the Lamb as you suffer. He will shepherd you through these difficulties. He will guide you, placing your hope in the Lamb that is slain and is now exalted at the Father's right hand. And then thirdly, remember